All right, welcome back to the Swing You Instructor Series. This week, we have Lance Gill. Lance Gill is the owner of Lance Gill Performance, as well as the mind behind TPI. He's an industry leader in player development, biomechanics, and fitness protocols. Lance works in stride with our previous guest, Jason Bale, at the Jupiter Hills Club in Tequesta, Florida. He is also one of my favorite people in golf, so I hope you all enjoy the pod. But before that, we have a brief ad read for Swing You. Swing U Premium, the world's most comprehensive golf game improvement app with the industry's easiest to use on-course GPS, scorecard, strokes gained, and stat features. With the world's easiest to use strokes gained stat system, you'll receive a relative handicap for driving, approach shots, chipping, pitching, bunker play, and putting. Whether you're on the course or at home, Premium subscribers get anytime, anywhere access to Swing U's massive on-demand library of lessons and drills from world-class golf instructors. Join Swing U Premium today and start shooting lower scores. Now let's get to the pod. Thanks so much for having us out today. This has been a very insightful day for me, for sure. Uh, I think I got some things I need to work on. You only have one thing to work on. What is it? It is my hip mobility. Yes, you have hip to work on mobility. Your, and what do you have to do with the upper body at impact? I need to... You're not saying keep, it. No, no, no. What do you mean? Oh, I got to spit in the divot. That's right. I got to spit in the divot. Spit in the divot. If you don't know what that means, well, we'll tell you later on. Yeah, you can, you can look at all the swingy stuff and then you can figure it out. <laughs> well, we're spitting in divots over here. So, um, Lance, we have a little bit of uh, something in common. We went to school around the same area. Yep. I hear it in Virginia. You were in the southern, southern sector, though. It wasn't very cold. No, it got cold in Shenandoah, though, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, so you played soccer and golf. Yeah, and one season in lacrosse, too, by the way. Hey, three-sport athlete. Yeah, three-sport athlete, baby. So I was wondering, especially, like, you're kind of in the realm of the body and health and all that kind of stuff. Like, did you find any common threads between the sports that, that kind of lent, each, lent to each other? Yeah, so I was at Shenandoah for sports medicine, kinesiology, um, and I became an athletic trainer. So that's my main profession, a certified athletic trainer. And naturally, we would be placed into different residencies during school, like with the baseball team, the soccer team, the basketball team. So I got to see a lot of different sports. And the one common thread that we saw was athletes tend to get hurt and non-contact injuries based on physical deficiencies. So whether it be mobility or stability or balance or endurance or speed or strength, they they would tend to get hurt. And it would correlate back to some weakness or some immobility. And I thought that was kind of cool. And the whole time I was playing golf, this is, by the way, this is in like 93 to 97. So I was like, I, want, I wish somebody gave a you know crap about golf because back, back then it was like golf. No, you weren't an athlete and you, you definitely didn't work out for golf. And no, that was pre-Tiger. Not. So yeah, we, I just was like, this is really cool. I just wish they did it for golf. And it wasn't until about four years later after I graduated that we found we found the magic egg, if you will, for, yeah. for golf. 
Well, before we get to TPI and all mm-hmm. that good stuff, I want to briefly chat about your time at NASA. Oh, <laughs> you've done some research. I have. So at Shenandoah, my, I think my junior year, I was in a biomechanics lab and we were doing underwater weighing, hydrostatic weighing. It was, it might not have been biomech class, but it was something like that. And so the, I was bored because outside the pool, it was really freaking cold. So I jumped in the pool and my teacher's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm helping. So she's like, wow, that kid's, he's a real go-getter. I wasn't, I was just trying to stay warm, but I was helping <laughs> out. And um, so she was actually on a residency at NASA every summer. She would go there and work in the, neuro, the neuromuscular weight weightless lab, they call it. Mm-hmm. So what they were doing is studying fluid shifts and the effects of being weightless on the human body, mainly with the fluids in your body move all around. And because of that single single action, she's like, I like you. I'd like you to consider coming to NASA for the summer with me. And I was like, hell yeah, I would. And it was, it was phenomenal. I got to do so many research projects, worked with three or four astronauts on their, their research because the one thing about space is when you go to space, um, there's no compression or there's no gravity pushing on your bones and thereby the whole system of your bones constantly are creating more bone mm-hmm. um, based on the gravity or the demands pushed on. But when you're in space, there's no gravity pushing on your body. So the bone growth slows down. That's why astronauts have traditionally come back with osteoporosis, basically. And, th- and that's why they have to exercise and they're building all these suits that put tension on your body so that it simulates the, the effects of gravity. It's not just bone loss that you see, but the fluids in your body and the interstitial spaces just kind of seep out and go everywhere. When the guys get to space and the ladies get to space, their their faces are swelling because all the fluids are just going everywhere and it, it's, it, it has an effect on your body. So we were doing a lot of the research on that because I don't know, frankly, if we don't, where are we gonna live in 38 million years? Yeah. Well, if you're Elon Musk, he's gonna live on Mars. Man, that's another story. So I was out in Southern California, and that dude launches a rocket. Like this is eight months ago, and I'm just walking home. Beautiful sunset over the Pacific. Everybody's like, oh. And all of a sudden, a rocket goes up, and then the rocket boosters broke off. So there was two smoke trails, and they look like inbound missiles from China. The whole <laughs> West Coast panics, and everyone's like, oh my god! Everybody's running inside. I'm like, what the hell? And then finally, Elon Musk goes. Oops, sorry, California. I just launched a SpaceX missile from Pasadena or something. And he didn't tell anybody. He was panicking. I was like, shit. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I'm tied into space pretty deep. We're, bu- we're good buddies. <laughs> I love that. Um, was there anything that you learned at NASA that you keep kind of putting into what your work now? Yeah, NASA was, it was everything we did was, was never a guess. So you had to back things up, triple redundancy, everything you had to have a lot of justification behind. And I thought that was kind of cool because it wasn't guessing and it wasn't like pseudoscience. It's real, it's real stuff because there's people's lives at uh, play here. So I kind of took that approach into my career, into grad school at Pitt, and then ultimately at TPI is, listen, if we're gonna make a decision or a, we're gonna try to implement a change, let's have a reason for it and let's not guess, which is the opposite of what the golf industry was for a long, long time. It was basically 50% guess, 50%, I don't know. And a lot of golfers got better, a lot of golfers got worse. Now we're seeing a little bit different of a trend based on just mindsets like that. Gotcha. All right, now that we've talked a little bit about TPI, walk me through You know, how did all of that come about? How did TPI come about? How did landscale performance come about? Where did all that kind of stuff stem from? Well, 
TPI started about 2001, 2002. Uh, Mr. Uline, CEO of Titleist, kind of brought um, his little son down, eight-year-old Peter, to see us. We were running a golf-specific fitness center in D.C. called Club Golf. So Greg Rose, uh, myself, Bobby Duvall, another gentleman named Ken, Ken Alperin were running this center. First ever golf gym in the world. So yeah. these guys, Mr. Uline's up at Caves Valley in Baltimore. He's like, who are these turkeys down there in D.C. running this place? And Dave Phillips, the head pro, was like, I don't know. Let's go see him. So they came down, and we basically did a physical screen on the young the young man and we said, this is what he does in his golf swing on a piece of paper. And Dave's like, holy crap. How do you know what he does? Are you spying on this little eight-year-old? And we're like, no. Based on what his body can do, it's just very natural. He can only do this in his golf swing. It's a, like a one-to-one re- re- relationship. And so we did our thing. They drive back to Baltimore, and Wally said, "Wow, that's the future of where the industry's going." Um, and Dave's like, "Well, it would definitely help make better decisions for us coaches." And all, Wally was like, "Yeah, I think it would, but that's not what I'm thinking." And Dave's like, "Well, that's awesome." He goes, "Sure." He goes, "But these guys could help people play five years longer." Mm-hmm. And to him, that meant five more years of buying Pro V's. <laughs> and that golf ball industry is cha-ching, multi-hundred million dollar industry every year. So he's like, I like that. And so he had the foresight and the vision to you know, think outside the box. And within a year, the, the institute was being built and constructed and worked out for us to come out and start doing that on all the, all the high-end golfers at first. So we, we first started collecting data on all the best golfers in the world to see if there was any similarities. Biomechanically, massive similarities. Physical movement-wise, massive similarities. Golf technique, not so many similarities. There are some, but there wasn't, it wasn't across the board. So we, we found out quickly, there's really no swing style that we believe in, but there are movement patterns and there are uh, biomechanical markers that the best in the world possess. And if we can apply them, to those golfers that are hurt or getting older, then they can extend their careers, play longer, um, play in less pain, so on and so forth. And to title us, that was very valuable because when a golfer is not uh, playing good or he's not he's not feeling good, he doesn't have that Titleist logo on TV um, come the weekend, and that's a big deal for them. But the real beauty was when we found out this works with amateurs even better. Because that's... You mean- Amateur golf is 99% of the golf. You know? Probably even more, yeah. And that's the one that really needs the help. So <laughs> yeah. we, we, we started teaching seminars uh, around the world for professionals, like be it fitness, medical, or golf, to help those professionals basically take what we're doing back to their, their own places of business and start making it a business out of it. And that's kind of where the the whole TPI model really kind of... The TPI elevated. certified instructors all over the country. Correct. Stuff like that. Correct. Gotcha. And I, I became the lead instructor for them, along with Mark Blackburn and Jason Glass. And we've been te- running around the world for over 10 years now, up until the last two when we kind of had to sh- sit down kind for a while. Sit down. Yeah, we got benched. Yeah, we got benched due to COVID. Oh, yeah. Sad. It is stink. But, um, w- but we've had a really good time. We've got to meet over 35,000 professionals globally and help you know start, a, I guess, an industry from an infancy and really hopefully leave behind a legacy of changing the game uh, in the positive direction by making it more athletic and, and helping golfers play longer. Yeah. And I, I found a couple of quotes, and I like that you think of TPI is not a method. It's a way that your body or a, 
a way that your body moves in specific yeah, patterns. And what that means is we don't believe in any sort of method. You can be a stack and tilt, or you can be a two-plane swing, one-plane swing. You can swing with one arm. I don't care. Uh, our method is we believe the body works in a very specific pattern. And it's when that pattern is broken that you'll see pain, dysfunction, or compensations occur. So we want to pair your method up with the proper movements in your body. So every I, I've heard this complaint from non-believers so much like, oh, TPI is a method. We're not a method. If we're a method, it's, hey, be more mobile and be more stable. Like that's not really not a method. That's just human movement. That's what all doctors strive for is to get the best performance out of their, their patients, their athletes. And we're no different. We're just correlating it to the style of swing that you and your coach want to go after. We've chatted briefly earlier today about injury prevention. I know that you worked a lot with Greg when in early on in the years about prevention of pain and prevention of injuries and how did that kind of lead into TPI? Well, Dr. Rose is a chiropractor by nature. I'm an athletic trainer, so we're both sports medicine. He was he has an interesting story. I thought this was a a good story. Back in college, chiropractors have to do a certain amount of hours for free or uh, service hours and you know, maybe, let's just say the number is a thousand. So they have to do a thousand hours of adjustments as a rookie chiropractor. Who the hell wants to get adjusted by, by a, a rookie, rookie chiropractor? I don't. So he was working as a starter in a golf course in Maryland. Um, and he's like, well, I'll, one of the golfers came in and was like, yeah, I'm going out, my back hurts. He goes, well, mind if I take a look at it? I'm a doctor. And so he's like, hell yeah, for free. So he start, he would have a line of people. He got his hours done in literally no time because he, he was a starter also doing adjustments and looking at golfers. That's for awesome. Free. He probably got blamed for a lot of bad first tee shots. Well, it's that's the beauty. He he quickly found out that people loved him because he took their pain away, but there was a small percentage of people that were like, dude, I can't hit a golf ball anymore. And he's like, but you should be able to because now you don't hurt. What he didn't realize is that there's an ebb and flow versus technique in the body. And you have to marry the two, and that's where he's like, I need to know more about this. And so right about that time, I was at Pittsburgh for grad school with Pete Dreyevich, who's Greg Norman's uh, lead therapist and trainer. And me and Pete were, he was my mentor, and he was telling me all about golf training from his perspective. I'm like, Pete, nobody's doing this in the world. Like, he was literally one of the first guys training golfers and using medicine and working with uh, Norman's instructors on what he could or could not do because Greg Norman was always hurt. So he funded our lab at Pittsburgh, the Neuromuscular Research Lab, to help find out why the hell he was always hurt. Mm -hmm. So that hopefully we can make changes to golfers down the line. And so those two worlds intersected right when club golf was being uh, created by Greg. And I came in and said, yeah, I'd love to be a part of this. And the rest is history. And really we found that there's a very common pattern of injuries that we see, yet, not much data has been really uh, mined on that. So as of last year, my myself and a couple of other medical guys from TPI started a global um, epidemiological research study with the guys that did the same study for FIFA, uh, for soccer. So we're trying to study the origins of injury in golf. And this was done like seven to 10 years ago in soccer. And it came up with like one of the world's biggest warm-up routines ever uh, basically what do they say uh you know approved by the fifa organization globally mm -hmm. to, and they've really helped ankle injuries hip injuries and um i think knee injuries decrease across the globe just by being more aware of it and we're we're at the final stage of data collection for golf injuries right now globally so it's going to be pretty cool data yeah that'll be awesome hell yeah yeah 
Well, I know we're here at Jupiter Hills Club, one of the most beautiful clubs in South Florida, I have to say. I mean, it's driving beautiful. in here is pretty incredible. It's pretty nice. It's isn't pretty. It? It's it's not a bad spot to hang out. No. Um, so talk to me a little about your move from California to Florida. Um, so Jason Bale, the director of instruction down here, and I have been real good friends for four or five years. And basically, Jason has been, he before COVID, he's like, hey, I want to be an instructor at TP. I want to be on stage. And so I was kind of working with him on getting into that whole the whole process. And that was during the time when he was transferring from Belfair uh, down here to Jupiter. And he got the head job, director of instruction here, along on site with Kevin Muldoon. Um, and our GM Attila Cardis, and his real his platform for getting the job was I want to transform how the the game of golf is taught. So I really believe in the TPI method, but I want the whole art of golf instruction to be more transformational versus transactional. And they really like that idea of it not being just a one-hour service exchange for money because there's no long-term plan on that. There's no real buy-in by the members. There's no real buy-in by the coach. And it's just the way it's been done for 100 years or what have you. And there's, there's got to be a better approach to it. Basically, he took TPI's idea and he put it into a golf club, which has really not been done before. And after talking with him for a while, he said, I need a director of performance down here just like you. I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm considering leaving California. He's like, you should come to Florida. I was yeah. like, oh, it's a tax-free state. And there are certain regulations in California that aren't very becoming. So I, I considered it. And it, it was at the time that TPI was going real virtual because we can't travel anymore. So yeah. all of our seminars were kind of canceled and they're, they're virtual, which is awesome. But it's just a different feel, so I, I made the move down here to, you know, try to grow and get into a new, new slash old style. So, and when I say that, I was there at the beginning of golf fitness when it came into becoming an industry, and nobody believed it. It was very difficult. Like people were like, "This is bullshit. This doesn't work. You're 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 crazy." we had to convince people for such a long time that no this is real like this is really an entity your body plays a valuable role in your athletic movement such as golf it's not about fitness it's about just moving better or coordinating your movement with the golf swing and um, I feel like I'm back at square one doing it to a country club yeah because people are like no this can't work this can't I'm like I've already done this for 20 years though it does work I, I honestly a perfect example of that would be Phil Mickelson I mean the guy he might not be the most aesthetically pleasing to look at he like athletically yeah. but he is so limber and he is so flexible and he's you know he's got that long backswing he hits it miles and he's, he's in great shape. longevity i feel like was mm -hmm. kind of his goal when he was working on his body he's publicly stated it many times it's the reason why he can win majors at 51 years old i Damn mean right guy's, champ. guy's real good and he takes care of his body and he continually tries to understand how to manage his body padre carrington's another great example yeah. of that same thing over on the European tour. Padre could have won two or three times this year as well. And he's pushing 50 years old. And, I mean, the guys are still playing baller golf. So, it, it, and I got to say, it was one of the reasons why Tiger Woods' catastrophic injuries haven't put him out underwater completely. Uh, the guy's probably going to make another comeback. I don't think he, I don't know if he'll come back as good or bad, but the guy will make a comeback because his body is in such good shape that he can withstand some of the, the bullshit that other athletes couldn't have. I mean, 
the fact that he's swinging a golf club after that car accident is unbelievable. Yeah, I know some of his medical people, and that it was a real accident, and it was pretty catastrophic. So, you know, good for him. Proud of him. I hope he makes a comeback. He's been really helpful for the game, not to mention my business. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Yeah. So I got to shake his hand someday. Yeah. Well, getting back a little bit to Jupiter Hills, so there's this sort of overarching idea of, especially on Torn Hour, these guys show up with teams. They show up with a mental coach, a swing coach, a performance coach, short game coach, you know, all of these kind of things. Is is that somewhat what you're trying to kind of encapsulate in just a country club setting, giving your members a cohesive team around them? Correct. Um, we feel strongly that you don't have to be on tour to have that same level of service that the tour players have. Now, they may have it 24 hours a day, but the reality is members are still with their families, they're still working, so golf isn't their profession. But when they want to play and they want to play at a higher level, why not have the best around them and, and offer them the same performance team that you can get on tour? For instance, we work with Darren Clark uh, and Peter Uline and a couple of other tour professionals. Our process with the tour guys and the tour ladies is the exact same as with Mrs. Evercamp, a 26 handicapper from, from Des Moines, Iowa. I don't even know if that's in Iowa, but it is. the process is the exact same, and people don't get it. Well, they're a tour player. They're getting a different level of service. Why? It's the same thing. You're swinging. Your goals are the X, Y, Z. Your body's doing X, Y, Z. Let's, it's a math problem. The math, the numbers change, but the problems are the same. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, now we get to my favorite part where I get to ask you a bunch of in-the-weeds oh, golf questions. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm nervous. I have to read these, actually, so bear with me. Okay. Kinetic energy and ground force are a couple of terms that I feel like are popping up all over the place when it comes to golf instruction. Could you shine some light on the concepts and how you use them to improve your actual golf game? I, I agree. I nonstop this ground force and energy is is coming into the light. It's funny because in grad school back 22 years ago, we were using force plates and force vectors and stuff like that, and then it went dormant for almost 20 years until. Like 2016, 17, it really started to come back into play. You know, guys like Sasha McKenzie and, and the Body Track team and Mark Blackburn, all these guys started like really getting back into it. I'm like, man, I've been there for a long time and I'm just remembering all the stuff that we would we'd cover back then. But what it boils down to is your feet and the ground are the only two things that touch each other in a golf swing. So why not measure them? Because we, we, we measure everything, everything else in the golf swing, but we don't measure that. And finally, it, it kind of came back into, I guess, nouveau. And we started measuring it, and we're finding some very cool patterns that bad golfers do and that good golfers do that, frankly, can help you produce more speed, power, and energy. I personally think the whole uh, kinetic energy and ground force reactions has a massive impact on shoes, the shoe style you wear. Hmm and why we choose shoes, because we don't choose them for function, we just choose them for appearance right now, mainly. And if they feel good and comfortable on our foot and look good, that's the shoe for me, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the right shoe. But there could be a better performing shoe for you, and it all deals back with how, how your foot interacts with the ground. So we've learned a lot uh, of forces and where to apply forces and what works and what doesn't, and it can translate to other aspects all the way up the chain. So I, I'm a caster or I'm coming over the top. Well, perhaps it's because of how you load your back foot and your backswing, call it backswing pivot. If you're not loading deep enough into your trail hip and or trail heel, 
Well, oftentimes the, the, the pressure from your feet can go out to your toes and that forces uh, early release of the club. So the, the release of the club could be a byproduct of a poor loading pattern. It could be the exact opposite too, but it's kind of neat being able to measure that and see immediate changes. Uh, in fact, I think we did that with a certain someone's swing today. Yeah. And we found some uh, very unique... Uh, some, some interesting uh, data points. Correct. Whereas five years ago, it would be very hard to see those, and we were merely guessing. Yeah. So this goes back to that, I don't like to guess. Nobody likes to guess anymore. And if we can measure it, why not measure it? That's why we're seeing so many more force plates that pop up in these labs across the country. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question, which is... Over time, we have started to measure physical outputs more and more. I saw this in college when we would do our yearly base test with for our team. We would go in with a trainer. We'd see how flexible we were and match that up against the year prior, you know, so forth. Is there a bodily function or measurable output that us golf nerds have not dove into that could bring, you know, some sort of or better golf to just the average golfer? I think that's a great question. And, and the answer, I believe, is yes. In our performance center right now, we got a putting coach, Brad Faxon, we got a swing coach, Jason Bale, performance director, Lance Gill, and we got a head fitter, Neil Mark. We're covering all bases except for the brain. So the brain, I think, is that final frontier where it blends everything together. So we've all, you've all been through lessons where you're doing great in a lesson, then all of a sudden you have to go out and do it on the course. It doesn't transfer, it doesn't translate. Or you play good one round, and then the next round you can't figure out why it's degraded. Uh, the brain has a massive input into that. So this company called Optios, which is measuring the brain state of athletes uh, or the ability for an athlete to get into the zone. They've actually been able to map the human brain and quantify what part of the brain you're using for an activity. For instance, putty. We measured Brad and myself and Brad, one of the, if not the world's best putter. The best. The best, number one, versus Lance, who was ranked the worst in NCAA in college golf. <laughs> well, wasn't it like 984 or something? Yeah. Pretty close to that? It was it was flipping terrible. <laughs> Did you three putt for every like every I, green? I think okay. I averaged 36 putts around. I'm serious. 36? You, I hope you hit a lot of greens. I hit a lot of greens. That was, that was deadly accurate. And my coach was like, ha, 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 you're bad at putting. I'm like, no, no shit. Can <laughs> Thanks, I, coach. Can I get some help? But anyway, so we added, we, we measured Brad's brain versus my brain. And right when Brad stepped up to a putt, his brain went very quiet in the front, the prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking part. And the, some deep limbic system that I can't even pronounce started probably lighting up like a Christmas tree. Brad is able to get into that, that deep zone-like state so much easier than me because my front side of my brain is lighting up like, oh my God, I'm going to miss this putt again. Or, or you're trying to think about mechanics or you're thinking about, oh. Or Paige McKenzie and her Instagram, like that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, why is that in my brain right now? And, and that's the thing. And I said, so what, what do you guys do? They're like, we're going to teach you how to get into Brad's zone more often so that you can get better results out of your putting. I was like, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal because if you can train the brain to be in a more receptive state or to be able to recall the actions that we're trying to work on or practice so much, that's everything in this industry. And it's finally here on the forefront and it's just at the beginning of the industry. So teams like Optios are doing amazing, amazing work. And, and couple that with the motor learning experts on the planet, like Trillium Rose at Woodmont is a phenomenal motor learning coach. Uh, she's more than just a motor learning coach, but she knows so much of that, how to acquire skill, how to move past old skills and old habits, so on. 
that whole world together it's going to make club fitting better uh technical advice better physical advice better all the stuff is going to improve so that's that's the biggest measurable i think we're going to see so the brain is the big one huge awesome huge so now, especially with COVID, I feel like there's been this big boom in golf media, whether that be instructional videos, comedic comedy, which I very much enjoy. <laughs> um, and then obviously there are coaches that are using you know, golf media or social media to the best of their ability to put their content out there and stuff. So obviously there are pros and cons to this, but what are some of the negative connotations you see as a teaching pro or a, or a pro that works with you know, amateurs all the time? Well, I see this both at the Jupiter Hills uh, members as well as my Landscale Performance clients. Uh, the, everybody has a phone, everybody has Instagram, and basically you're, you're one uh, swipe away from the absolute worst content for you, for your golf swing at this point in your life, or your physical advice. So nonstop, I get people coming in, well, what about this exercise? I'm like, we're working on your right hip internal rotation. Why are you bringing a left shoulder exercise to me? Well. You know, Colby from Joey D's is saying this is a great exercise. It is a great exercise, but not for you at this point in time. So I, I constantly am battling my clients who are searching for sexier and sexier exercises or sexier swing drills as a magic bullet. And there is really no magic bullet out there. there the, the only bullet that's out there that's magic is the one that works for you to help you get to the next point in your journey. And I think social media is very deadly for that. Sometimes we have to ban it from our kids uh, because they're nonstop trying to get to the next level. They all want to be PGA Tour players at age 15. That's not going to happen. Not in today's market. No chance. So it's a long-term process to build an athlete. And we'll ultimately have to tell our kids, if you're not getting off that social media, you're going to have to find another coach. So yeah. we'll fire our students if they, if they are looking elsewhere too much. And I'm not saying that the content is bad, but... It's, it's not always proper. And that's why sometimes I fight with my own people at Landscale Performance. It's like, I don't want to just put out exercises because people think that they're good for them. And they're really not. The, the, the end of the story is you need to be physically assessed just like you were at college. And then you need to have exercises applied to you appropriate for your needs. That's why team programs don't work unless everybody on the team is a zombie and you guys are all the same, which has never happened in the history of time, never will. So I, I'm a big believer in physical screening, understanding where you're going with your technique, and then applying the right exercise or, or drill to to accommodate those needs, which have to suit your goals as well. So everybody's an individual. And just for everybody listening, you can do a physical screening like this online through Lance. Oh yeah, my my we do this all the time. I've been, <laughs> I, my phys, my program online is remote coaching remote training and it's been there forever because my pl tour players are never home and they're always in different parts of the world so I kind of was forced into doing a remote coaching program prior to COVID much like years and years and years prior to COVID I was forced into it and naturally we've kind of built a business model around it but I, I physically evaluate athletes with me and my team you know up somewhere 10 to 15 people a day we're putting through screens and developing programs so it's it's so easy to do it and it can be done from anywhere you don't need like the best in the world can be in your living room mm -hmm. doing this you don't have to fly to jupiter florida which would be cool if palm be beach ever had flights that's a good point but it also it's worth it just to come look at the first tee shot here at jupiter oh hills it's, it's so pretty hard. nuts it's so hard so <laughs> difficult so talk to a little about a little bit about the tour players that you've worked with over the years 
Who was the most athletically gifted that you've seen and why? I, I, that's a tough question. I, I've thought about this a lot. I think Rory's, it, just what he does with a golf club is, is tremendous. Um, I s- recall seeing him when he was 16 or 17 years old and like, how is this little dude with an afro hitting the ball so damn hard? It just didn't make sense to me, but he just moves so effortlessly. Ricky Fowler was in that same category. You know, I, I had all the kids coming in, like Jordan Spieth came in and they're like, Lance, what do you think of Jordan? I was like, I don't know. He seems, I'm in, I'm looking at the best athletes in the world. I'm like, yeah, he's all right. And they're like, all right, that's it? I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't see much special in him. Holy moly, was I wrong? <laughs> I wasn't saying he was bad, but he didn't really like flashy stand out to me. But look at the, now that's the opposite side of Rory and Ricky is he's very steady Eddie. Everything's really solid on him. There's nothing that's really above, below. It's just very steady. And the guy's made a massive, massive impact on the game before it. So it, it reinforces to me, in hindsight, you don't have to be the best athlete, but if you have athletic capabilities and qualities, you're going to be pretty solid. Girls like Azahara Munoz from Spain um, have absolutely astounded me. Carlota, uh, they call it Chiggy on tour. She just won last week, I think. Uh, phenomenal athletes. I got to work with Arizona State, a lot of the UCLA girls. Um, and we, we saw major, major... Uh, athletic talents coming out of these young ladies and it's fun to watch them and just how good they are that's how much of an athlete I think the females are more athletic before golf than the guys are they want golf and then they're going to build athletic around them but I would say if you're going to look at the, the like the best athlete I would say a guy like Peter Uline is be beyond athletic the dude should be a linebacker in the NFL he's so he's just built like a linebacker his ball speed's cruising at 185 cruising at 185 uh, everybody talks about DeChambeau, but I know for a fact Peter can get it over 204 miles an hour if he wants to. I've seen it. Um, but that type of athlete doesn't come around. Every so often. No, but yeah. every so often. And and I think it's become the normal. Like in 10 years, I, I fear what's going to be on tour. It's going to be a bunch of Wilco Neonobbers. I don't know what that means, but it's scary. Oh, you haven't seen that kid from Europe? No. Oh, is he insane? Good lord, he, he flies at like three forty-five. So, now that you say that, I'm just drawing a blank on the Swedish guy's name. Um, um oh, 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 um, the older dude, right? Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Nicholas Kolsarts. No, it's not. No, Nick, no, I'll think of his name, but um, he came to TPI a long time ago, and he was. I was just on TrackMan watching him, and ball speed like one eighty-three, one eighty-four. I'm like, damn, you hit it far. He goes. Well, he goes, do you want me to hit a driver? I'm like, what? He's hit five woods at 183. I, I can't remember. His, I think it was Nicholas something, but I'll, I'll think of it. But I was just like, what the hell is this? Are you the worst putter in the world? He's like, no, I'm actually good. I'm like, no, you, if you're at 192, <laughs> you should be able to be you can't. You can't be a good putter. It's not allowed. It's like Dustin Johnson. He's not allowed to be a good wedge player, but he is. I know. It's, it's unfair is what yeah. it is. It's yeah. unfair. Well, he grinded on the wedges. Oh. Yeah, you just touched on a word that I can't stand, grind. I uh, I think Vaynerchuk was the guy that brought this out, grinding. And, you know, grit, grind, it's great, but everybody uses it. It's just so annoying. Like, I'm grinding to find the results. I'm grinding. Why do we have to grind? Isn't there a simpler way to do anything? Um, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of that because I feel like grinding is wasting a lot of energy. 
and there's probably a more efficient way to do it. So not my biggest fi- word. Not my biggest word. All right. Well, I'll, I'll know that for next time. But it's Lance, uh, I just want to thank you for your time and for sitting down and having us out all day and finding some issues in my golf swing that I'll now be working on for quite some time. So We're always here. We loved having you guys. You're awesome. Your content's great. And, uh, keep it up, and let's, let's keep the journey moving forward. Sounds good. Appreciate it, Lance. You're welcome.